Hello everyone, my name is Clark Freilich. And I'm Clyde Goff. And welcome to the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. In this episode, Clyde and I will be discussing tab stories and extraordinary acts of creativity. been a couple of weeks since we had a chance to talk. Uh, last week I was busy with a uh, Christmas show and an art show. I know you had your art show a couple weeks ago and it's always a hectic time coming in through December and I think we've gone over the hump but now we're kind of getting ready to, to breeze into vacation. End of, end of the first semester is a busy time of year for art teachers, and so, um, especially for tab art teachers, uh, if you are doing assessments uh, and uh, then doing extracurricular things like making 30-foot-long murals for your kids' <laughs> music program, um, uh, which, congratulations, I saw the mural that... Uh, that the kids performed in front of it turned out beautiful uh, and it's always a uh, satisfying uh, experience to uh, to see a successful music program uh, take off and have the art department contribute mightily to such a endeavor and um, uh, I know that you worked hard uh, with helping coordinate the entire music holiday event as all, most art teachers do, behind the scenes, we always need to think about our role in the school in taking care of those backdrops, banners, whatever it is. It's just part of what we do. And I think it's an important part as a teacher in a school to build that collegiality with other teachers. We kind of take it for granted in what we do and what we can do, and teachers look upon us in awe as masters and magicians <laughs> and what we can do in a relative few hours of throwing some paint around to make it look whatever it is that we need to do. So, I think uh, art teachers who help uh, support uh, holiday or school events like a music program are making a mighty contribution and uh, supporting the school and it's a wonderful way to advocate for your program. And anytime you can involve the kids in uh, the production of, let's say, a, a mural for the backdrop, that, that's a wonderful outcome too. And they will always tell their parents, hey, I helped with the mural. And I know that's when, when we were doing murals for our elementary programs, uh, we would stretch out uh, mural paper, we'd glue together some butcher paper or bulletin board paper together. We could make a 12, 10 foot tall or 12 foot tall by 30 foot long mur uh, sheet of mural paper and then reattach it later on to a stage backdrop, uh, backdrop support uh, apparatus. And um, you can uh, uh, make a positive impression uh, for your art program 
and ad and with respect to advocacy when you support the music teacher that oh, way. Oh, absolutely. When you when you make murals, especially in the classroom, and, and the kids can see this, their ideas fire away from that, and which kind of leads into what we're going to talk about. You know, stories from our tab classrooms where students are creating things that they normally wouldn't have the opportunity or just don't have the time or facility to to be able to make some of these projects in a regular uh, non-tab classroom. Right. And I the, know you had one. I mean, we can start from the very beginning uh, with your dragon that was prominently displayed at the tab show at the Arnhem Gallery in Boston. Was that the first tab gallery show? Yeah. Back in... Student, tab, first tab student gallery show that we know of. Maybe Kathy Douglas and Diane Jake with Pauline Joseph, John Crow may have done one before then, but uh, the one that we attended in 2006, in the spring of 2006 in Boston at the Arnheim Gallery, Massachusetts College of Art and Design, we both submitted work, children's work, to... Kathy and Diane, they uh, took a, w a weekend to mount that work, and uh, it was ready for the Na National Art Education Association's conference in Boston, mm -hmm. and uh, in conjunction with that event, it was a tremendous show. The, the it was very moving. It was. I just remember walking in and reading some of the artist statements yes. that the kids were, that were attached to the artwork. And just blown away. The the Arnheim Gallery, and I, I I hope Kathy's got some photographs from that show. I think she still does. She uh, they might be posted on one of the tab websites. But um, uh, the works were compelling. The children's works were compelling. One one of the works was the the dragon mural that one of my students created. Uh, it was uh, of a dragon, and you can see it's gradual completion on my blog site which is called transition to choice based art education and i started we started publishing that blog in 2004 right after you and i had met with Kathy and Diane in Denver Colorado and John Crow was there of course and uh but right after that following spring we started uh, introducing TAB to our students and opened up a TAB classroom. So, so I was getting used to practicing teaching for artistic behavior pedagogy the spring of 2004. The following fall of 2005, uh, we, I had a paint center, drawing center, uh, a book center, and a, uh, a cardboard construction center that, that we had opened up. So we had about three, four centers. Oh, and a collage center. We had four centers running uh, in the fall of 2005. So we were humming along and enjoying our newfound experiences uh, that we, we discovered. Uh, we could create all kinds of wonderful works of, works of our drawings and, and uh, collaborative sculptures. It's interesting, one of the, one of the tables where the, the, some fifth grade boys were working uh, one of the boys was really good at drawing dragons, and dragons are mythical creatures. And one of his buddies was watching him draw his dragon. It was a it was a nice looking dragon on twelve by eighteen inch paper. Well, his buddy Alex saw this dragon, and he thought to himself, "Well, hey, 
I'm going to draw a dragon too. So he started to draw a dragon uh, on a similar size paper. And uh, the next time they came to class, he asked me, he said, Mr. Goff, do you have any larger size paper? And I said, well, yeah, Alex, I can set you up with some of this butcher paper that we use for the music mur murals. So I set him up with, uh, over at the blackboard, we had blackboards back then, he had like a four by six foot sheet of paper. He started sketching out his dragon with black paint. And it was just black, you know, black temper paint with a, with a fat stubby brush. He started sketching it out uh, directly onto the butcher paper. And I could see that he, was, he needed more paper. So we started attaching more paper uh, and it just kept growing. And um, pretty soon he had a uh, 10 foot by 10 foot mural of this giant dragon creature, a mythological dragon creature. Uh, it was a sight to behold and a, a focus point in the art room. And uh, then we had other kids who uh, saw Alex's work. And here's an example of children become inspirationalists to their fellow students. And so we, we had to break out more space and we created like three or four other mural centers. And I had to make some temporary mural centers because everybody wanted to make a mural. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so there's some examples of, of murals uh, from 2005 in the blog, uh, Transition to Choice-Based Art Education. From, and you can go to that blog and see that part of the story unfold from our journey into TAB. And uh, a remarkable painting for just a 10-year-old boy to create. Uh, just, you know, and this is an example of discovery learning. You know, gee, I, I didn't know I could do such a thing. I'm doing things I never thought I could do before. You know, the expansion of the imagination. Uh, you know, this is a critical part of a child's education to, to experiment and figure out new ways of doing. And How long did it take him to finish that mural? I think it was about six weeks. About six. We worked on it for six whole weeks. About six weeks. Wow. And um, and and he came in a couple times during recess to work on it because we had to get it we had to get it ready for the Arnheim Gallery because we were in contact with Kathy and Diane. And we said, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna participate in in the Arnheim show, and so we shipped it off. November, I think we shipped it off to them. Maybe it was January. I, I forget. We'll have to ask Kathy when, when she received it. But, um, but it was a wonderful experience to go to Boston, where you and I were presenting also, mm -hmm. and that was a blast, <laughs> uh, because I was used to presenting in front of ten people, and we presented at the national conference in Boston, and we had like eighty people showed up yeah. in a big room. And we had a had a wonderful uh, experience doing that presentation. The applause. That once that happened, that was that was extraordinary and uh, very gratifying. Yeah, I just all I remember from that presentation is the end, because typically when I start talking, I forget everything and just talk and talk from the heart. No, but I love that that dragon painting, and we'll make sure we put a link to your blog, or we can just get a picture of it and put it in the, the description. 
the blog was started in the spring of 2004, and um, it's a pretty interesting blog, and um, it documents some extraordinary things that uh, took place in my classroom, and, and I mention you quite often in there because, you know, you and I, we, I share our, some of our discussions and uh, some insights that we've observed with respect to things like swarm creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, you know, you and I were thinking about Victor Lowenfeld a lot back in 1997, 98, 99, uh, 2000. We, were talk- we kept talking about Lowenfeld when you and I were, whenever we could during our team teaching time. And we were talking about children's developmental levels and also personality types. You know, we were talking about, you know, children who are visual learners, and we were talking about the haptic children. So I remember you had a parent brought you 500 pounds of wood blocks. Oh, the um, they were laminate samples that were the wrong color, and they were just going to throw them away. So it was probably a thousand pieces we just had boxes and boxes <laughs> you had, you must have had five six hundred pounds of those things oh yeah share the wealth That's and, what so, I was and so you gifted me with i think 200 pounds of these blocks and i said i said well let's try a block center in our room well that was like the biggest thing since swiss cheese uh, in our room, because the kids were, you know, they the, all the haptic learners and some of the visual ones, they got over there and they started building, and uh, and our room, you know, it was it was busy before then, but it became super busy, and uh, you know they were kids uh, building. This is two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Were they doing something with the Tacoma Bridge or something? Oh or? well, the Tacoma Bridge and a lot of these kids had had, had witnessed nine eleven. Mm. And That's right. They were having cathartic moments uh, at the block center, uh, uh, building towers and um, and deconstructing them. Right. And um, and there were a lot of children, and there were kids drawing pictures of 9-11 um, at, that, at that right when we started doing TAB. Mm-hmm. There were kids drawing them, but when they could relive the experience, a lot of them were reliving 9-11 at the block center. They would build towers. And George Sakelli, he talks about children experiencing the, the sensation of soaring mm-hmm. and of heights and, you know, the integration of play. Play could could not be a more important learning experience uh, with respect to what's going on in the school with these children because they're biologically hardwired mm-hmm. for play. So the block center became this this place. It was a magnet for all kinds of groups of kids, and they would be. What was interesting to find out later on was they were planning outside of class. What they were going to do in the block at the block center in the art room? We're just talking massive constructions, like eight feet in diameter. Oh yeah, the blocks are maybe a half inch thick, uh-huh. 
six inches long and three inches wide. Yeah. So they were like planks. Yeah. And one side was curved, so they couldn't they couldn't use that side. Yeah. Good. And so they actually had to do a lot of thinking when they were building it because it wasn't just throwing a, a block up. Yeah. And had to be a certain way. I just remember seeing some of these humongous constructions because my kids at the time were not doing anything like that. They were... Uh, were they stacking? They were stacking. I mean, they do a lot of towers. Uh-huh. You know, you mentioned 9-11. They were doing a lot of towers. But some of the the other things that, that your kids were doing as swarm activities uh-huh. when you have a lot of boys getting together... Yeah. I didn't have that in my classroom. We were observing swarm creativity and swarm intelligence mm-hmm. before it became a thing. This is 2007, 2008. When we introduced the block center, they were just swarming over them. And what's interesting is they, the groups were self-organizing. And they were like working in, in uh, unison mm-hmm. and, and collaboratively as if they were one unit. Yeah, I experienced something similar later on with, was kind of more of an art trap. Uh-huh. You know, we talk about art traps now. Back then, someone who was working at one of the local restaurants, they spilt Coke on a bunch of straws. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so instead of throwing the straws away, they brought them and said, here, do you want these straws? We can't use them anymore. How many straws are we talking about? They brought the straws in the in a bag about the size of a 40-gallon trash bag. Uh-huh. So there was hundreds and hundreds of these clear plastic straws. Yeah, like 10,000 straws. I have no idea. <laughs> a lot of straws. <laughs> and I think I put together a cube kind of to show them how to attach them. Uh-huh. And I just left it on the floor. And then some boys started building uh-huh. three or four of them at a time and... But the boys petered out after a while. Uh-huh. And then the girls took over. Uh-huh. And then the girls were like, we're going to build an Eiffel Tower. Uh-huh. And so how are we going to build this? So they worked on it for uh, like six six weeks. Uh-huh. And we finally got, I think the finished Eiffel Tower was about 15 feet tall. Uh-huh. I remember. We had to build it in two parts yeah. because it, we built it to my ceiling the first half. And then we had to build the second half separate, but we had to make sure that they stacked on top of each other uh-huh. and held together. And a 16-foot tower of straws, <laughs> you know, they, they it would fall, and they're like, how do we, you know, this idea of engineering, yeah. thinking, and design came into play because now we had to talk about supporting, you know, using uh, braces and, and yeah. you know, even with straws, when you get something that, that's big, you uh-huh. have to support and keeping the base from splaying out like a llama on ice yeah because the top's pretty heavy oh yeah you know, they had the observation deck they had everything and it was a masterful piece of hot glue and, and straw i remember it was the showcase at the county art show uh when you exhibited that uh i forget what year we were at eastern hancock high school and it was in the main gym it was in the center of the gym we had high school exhibitions, middle school, but the showpiece was your elementary kids' 16-foot-tall Eiffel Tower. 
Well, any time that I know you and I can do something like that, or the kids can do something like that, you and I always make sure that we showcase it. Um, and I've done it with the Eiffel Tower. I think one year we kind of played off Diane's Lucky Town. Oh, yeah, Lucky Town, yes. Uh, with having kids started building these structures out of cardboard, and one thing led to another, and the next thing you know, hey, let's take all these, put them together, and make a town. So that happened in my school, and they were doing it in your school, yeah. and we decided to stick them together and took up 20% of the display space yep. in, in our area. That was a byproduct of having a working cardboard construction center. I observed other groups of children interested in building they want to recreate a living environment with cardboard. They were building big doll houses and then houses and buildings. Gerbil houses? And, and yeah, hamster gerbil houses. hamster houses. <laughs> Here's a movie theater <laughs> for, my, for my hamster. So, so we, we had a lot of building construction going on uh, with respect to the cardboard construction center and the block building center. And I think, well, you and I had seen Diane present on Lucky Town at, mm -hmm. at one of the national conferences. And I just talked to you at some point and said, well, we should build our own Lucky Town. We have enough building sculptures to, to do that. And then we collaborated later on. And there's a video of, Lucky, of our Lucky Town on tra transition to choice-based art education on that blog. I'm glad you have all those because I don't know if I have any of them. It's still there if anyone wants That's to look awesome. at it. Again, we'll add that to our description. We'll yeah. have these all so you don't have to go digging for them, but we'll also have a link to your blog because there really is some good information there. I think there's already a permanent link on, on the website, on the Podbean website. Yeah, yeah, I, there is. But, um, you know, the it was interesting to see things back to emergence, you know, the, uh, a, uh, the concept of emergence and emergent curriculum happening uh, before our very eyes and uh, we could see its importance and supporting children from the back end as Ian Sands like say you know you support children from the back end they they have an idea they start running with it and the teacher supports them from the position of overseeing of, of over enhancing, helping enhancing stepping in when needed yes because the thing that's important for students to really learn is to take control of their learning. Right. And not relying on the teacher to always open the door for the next adventure. Right. So to be reliant on the teacher all the time. When do you wean a child off of teacher-directed experience? In our art rooms, we try to eliminate that right at the get-go, and we, we, uh, from my perspective, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm sharing information, sharing uh, possibilities, sharing materials, and enhancing student ideas and acting as a living resource when I absolutely have to intervene uh, and do a uh, intervention. I will. I'm ready to do that because I've been trained to do that. But really, what you and I want to do is let children uh, experience the power of their own minds and the power of their own ideas. Right. And so, uh, the tab classroom is the perfect learning environment for for that to happen. I know it's it's always been a question. You and I have talked about it a lot of times. Kids, when you were in elementary or 
my experience now, they come to you and say, will you do this for me? Yeah. Uh, can you cut out a heart for me? I always say, no, I want you to cut it out. Oh, but it's not going to be right. I'm like, so what? That's when you say, why don't you draw the heart uh-huh. and then cut it out? Uh-huh. Instead of having me doing it for them, then when they see they do it, then they're able to really own that. I couldn't before because I'm always so used to asking mom or dad yeah. or the teacher to do it. Yeah, the, and the adult is the de facto um, resource, mm-hmm. and that's the first the first uh, step in our pathway to solve a problem is to go have the adult solve the problem for us that we have. There's a YouTube video that I show kids. It's called The Escalator. I think that's the name of it. But basically, it's about problem solving. Uh-huh. It's about a gentleman who gets stuck on an escalator, uh-huh. and he just stands there complaining about the escalator not working. Uh-huh. And the yeah. obvious answer is like, most problems are easily solved, uh-huh. but kids have never had that opportunity to do that problem solving. We do a lot of coaxing and coaxing coaching. and coach coaching and pointing out that when kids are asking us, when they think they're problem finding, they're just problem stating and not thinking about how to solve the problem. So I get a lot of my pencil broke. Do you know this, how to go to? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or you, they'll hold up, they'll find something on the floor and they'll go, I found this. <laughs> And I just want to say congratulations. Now what are you going to do with it? I, I, at high school, I still get kids who will tell me, Mr. Gaw, what do I do with my, my, I'm out of paint. What should I do? I'm like, well, what you can do is extend your quadricep muscles, look, put one foot in front of the other, and go walk over to the paint center and get some paint. My pencil needs sharpened. <laughs> Use your eyes. Look around the room, find the tool that you need to use, and go for it. Yeah. Not all of our kids are that way. Uh, but Not we, all. We but have, there we, are times when it's smack your head, <laughs> and you're like, come on, think. But thinking about what are the conditions that the child has experienced up to this point that they lack the initiative to, yeah, do, to do things because like everything's that. been laid out for them. Right. This is how you do it. You don't have to think. You don't have to problem solve because the teachers done everything for them. Yeah. Or the parents done everything for them. Yeah. And that's not independent. That's dependent. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about initiative. That's what the, my main emphasis this year, with fourteen to eighteen year olds, was on taking initiative, and from my perspective. That's everything that, you know, artists have to take initiative. And, um, and, and like you said, dependency or a, uh, uh, a attachment to uh, an authority to do things for you. Heaven's sakes, we, you know, that's why we, we preach autonomy. We preach initiative. We preach problem posing, questioning, you know, from the foundational aspect of the entire creative process. That's what that's what we're we're teaching from day one in, in, in our tab classrooms. So that the child gets the full experience of being responsible for their 
act, their actions, their activities, and their learning. We do that a lot. We see a lot of times teachers are trying to teach kids how to come up with ideas, mm-hmm. how to solve, how to find problems. Yeah. It has to permeate your program. Yeah. It, it's constant all the time. It's not a unit. It's, I mean, you can introduce it as a unit, but you have to keep hitting it yeah. constantly. It's an aspect of your program culture. Right. The classroom culture. And, and part of, if you look at uh, the uh, elements that support creativity in, in its entirety, uh, what, from the aspect of allowing for ambiguity, allowing for time and incubation, allowing that to occur for children to experience uncertainty in their ideas. And, um, you know, that's an important part of the, the creativity cycle and the creative process. So I'm willing to give a child time. Now, if, 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 there's, if, there, if I see that there needs to be an intervention, then I'm going to be on it and offer up art traps or art games. If there's too much time has elapsed, then there's going to be an intervention on my part. But allowing for ambiguity to occur, uh, I think, is important to, to let, let the child experience a sense of ambiguity and, and uncertainty. It's that sense of almost being lost and helping them find their own way, mm-hmm. as opposed to, this is the path you're going to take. Uh-huh. And in doing that, develops their confidence in their own ideas and their own problem solving. The eminent American psychologist Rollo May. Oh yeah, Rollo. He's the one who coined the term. Have the he wrote the book, The Courage to Create. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says that children have to come to terms with their own boredom. And so that's when they come to terms with, with their own boredom and they realize that, hey, I can improve my, my state of, of mind. My, my, I can improve my situation if I use my imagination. I can create all kinds of interesting events and, and phenomena and, uh, and learning situations. Well, that whole idea of, of being bored is one of those things that teachers fear Uh they look at their class well they're just bored they think that's a reflection on them as a teacher and it's it's not a reflection when we're bored we're hitting reset because we can do the things but sometimes we get bored with doing something a lot Uh and in that boredom our mind resets and we become more creative Right. Out of boredom, you know, when we're bored, we try to find solutions to things that we've been incubating right. in the back of our head. And to always keep kids occupied doing something right. does them a disservice right. because they need that time, that downtime. And I think that is a problem with technology because now we have devices. Mm-hmm. As soon as we're bored, we pull out the phone. Yeah. We never get to reset our mind back to that level uh-huh. of trying to be creative because we always have a device 
in our hand or in our pocket. And as soon as we get bored, we turn it on and we play a game. We uh-huh. do on Snapchat. We never develop that sense of, of pulling ourselves out of that boredom uh-huh. through creativity. Absolutely vital point about the role of ambiguity in the development of the creative mind. And um, I think it's essential to be able to have time to think about problems that may be bubbling up from a feeling or emotion. And we were talking earlier podcasts about, you know, that's the basis of an idea is a feeling and emotion. And, um, and having time to think through this problem and think through possible solutions to it. And then going about experimenting with realizing that idea with different materials. Mm-hmm. So watching, I can, I, I recall now have a, giving a, uh, a young man in my room, uh, giving him time in class uh, to just look at uh, different reading material and doing basically what I call research. And after about a week of just leaving him alone, he's been doing some tremendous stencil work with, he's cutting stencils out of two foot by three foot sheets of paper and then spray painting them and uh, some wonderful works coming from him uh, all because I just left him alone and I, I knew I knew he had stuff going on in his head he's a very uh, deep thinker and um, and so I would just if in a, if an administrator were to walk into my room and see him doing nothing I would tell the administrator that he's incubating an idea and we're just going to let him sit because Something's going to happen later on. I know because I've seen the pattern over and over. Mm-hmm. And that's the pattern we observed. We started observing with kids back uh, in 2004, 2005. Is that you, you, once you allow them the op- opportunity to do, to do authentic creative art, that it's important to give them a chance to incubate an idea. And, and that's a term that Nan Hathaway coined, you know, the idea incubation. And, right. Uh, and she wrote about that in, in uh, Smoke and Mirrors in, in, that, uh, in that article. Because mm-hmm. I know it's probably more prevalent in a high school program where kids come in ready with an idea. Yeah. I know you had an experience with Libby. And yes, her... amazing artist. She came out of your program. Mm-hmm. And came into came from elementary. Here's this young lady. She's uh, about five foot tall, and very la- quiet. Last year's very quiet. <clears throat> she had an interest in um, science fiction series called Doctor Who. Uh, well, you know, here's she was enrolled in our Intro to 3D art class last year. And class, it was about thirty some kids. Uh, populated with a lot of big football players, mm-hmm. and they're all wanting to do plaster carving. And so, okay, you can do plaster casting, plaster carving. Um, they were they were enjoying working with clay, working with cardboard marble runs. We were doing a lot of marble runs, big ones, like seven feet tall marble runs, lots of tracks. We introduced marble runs at, at the elementary level back in 2010. They just took off. They were mm-hmm. using marbles at the block center and then at the cardboard construction center. We're introducing Newtonian physics. You talk about steam. We're smoking hot, you know. I mean, we've got all kinds of 
mechanical engineers going on in there. So here's little Libby, all five feet tall of her, working in this classroom filled with football players. And uh, she's excited about realizing her ideas uh, from the science fiction series Doctor Who. So she says, Mr. Gaw, where's your hot glue guns? I said, they're over there in the, in the uh, invention center, which is our cardboard construction center. And uh, she begins to build a giant cardboard structure. It's very complex. Uh, it's about six feet tall and uh, five feet in diameter. And uh, she's building one of the robot uh, alien creatures from Doctor Who called a Dalek. So she's building this giant cardboard Dalek with all kinds of detail and uh, there's, you know, angle pieces and uh, lots of uh, diagonal pieces that have to go in place. And she brings in a plunger from uh, Walmart. Um, she's bringing in other materials to embellish the surface on it. She spray paints it gold and copper. And then she adds a uh, uh, tape recorder to it, uh, tape recording, and a, and a light fixture so it actually blinks and she she outfits it to uh, to say uh, exterminate exterminate and uh, you know I'm just blown away uh, by this young lady's uh, creation and her uh, realization of of this this sculpture idea and um but, you know, just a, another example of emergent curriculum, uh, what can transpire in a TAB classroom when children are, uh, feel ready to take a risk, put mind into motion, and, uh, and uh, realize uh, a fantastical idea. Exactly. Although it doesn't happen consistently, but these are the times when we see how great TAB can be. These are our, our pinnacle moments. Absolutely. These are, these are extraordinary moments that we are uh, very privileged to witness because what we're witnessing are uh, examples of human creativity uh, unbound. And it's so exciting to see, when, to see it happen when, when we get a chance to see it. Like the Eiffel Tower piece, uh, your, your, uh, dr the battle drawing that your oh, boys yeah, the did. Oh, battle drawing. Oh, that, my gosh. That, that was incredible. I'll just tell real quickly. So I had these, these boys started off with an 8 by 12 piece of paper. Uh, 8 by 12 inch. Yeah. And they were drawing with pencil a battle scene. Uh-huh. And then the next time they came in, they attached another piece of paper to it, uh -huh. drew more of a battle scene, but continued the battle. Uh -huh. And then a couple other boys joined in to the battle, uh -huh. and it got physical. I mean, they would, if they launched a bomb, they would draw the line over the pieces of paper and blow up with the noises. Uh -huh. <laughs> and this went on for about... My goodness, two months. Oh, my. And we ended up with a battle scene that was at least 10 feet wide uh -huh. of just pieces of paper attached 
two other pieces of paper with lines drawing all over the place. So it was very haptic uh-huh. and not a linear idea. Uh-huh. It was very, very rhizome-like, uh-huh. the development of it. And if you were any at all OCD, you couldn't be anywhere near this drawing because there was uneven pieces of paper. You you would have 9 by 12 pieces of paper stapled or glued to, uh-huh. and then they would find a piece of poster paper that was bigger, and then they would attach that at an angle. It, it just ended up to, to be a very organic drawing that these kids, I think there was probably seven or eight kids that ended up working. Wow. On this on this one drawing uh-huh. on this game, it wasn't even a drawing. It had had transformed into an activity. Uh-huh. Another example of emergent experience taking taking place. And I saw the drawing, and I'm telling you, Cy Twombly didn't have nothing on if, those kids. And if 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 you died in the drawing, you could not draw on it. <laughs> you were dead. So then those those guys would then go to create their own, but it. Uh-huh. It never reached the completeness of the the original. You know, the original idea had grown, and then as people died off, they would try to make their own, but it never really caught on like the original. Uh So that idea had kind of died out. You and I had done a lot of research on boys' art and battle drawings, weapons, weapon art. You know what? I think that would be a great topic <laughs> for another podcast because we need to wrap this one up. We were just getting started. I know. We were just getting started uh, with Christy being here and interviewing us and, yeah. and, and looking for that nice article in the paper yeah. about this podcast. So I'm kind of looking forward to it, but you know, with the Christmas season coming up, I know I wanted to make sure that I wish everyone happy holidays. Absolutely, happy holidays. I'm not sure if we'll have a if we'll be around next week. We probably will try to get one more podcast in before Christmas break. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And then cuz I know we'll have 2 weeks off for Christmas break and spend time with family we or wish, away from family. We wish everyone who listens to our podcast a uh, a restful holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh and time off. Time off. If yes. you're a teacher teaching, you have to take care of yourself and just incubate for a while. You know, right. sometimes you just have to incubate and not and not even incubate, just rest. So, think about that. Oh, and you know what else I forgot? We had a question on Tab Art Educators okay. about how to make paper smash. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Clyde? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so if you take a bunch of leftover newspaper, pa- newspaper or white paper, white paper, a- recycled AB, paper, ABU paper, already been used paper, uh, soak it in some hot water. That hot water does best in in breaking down the fibers, mm-hmm. soak it in hot water for 10 minutes. Or if you don't have the hot water, just soak it in water. For, for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Drain the water. You have some really soft paper. Take uh, a one-by-one or a two-by-two two, uh, that's about two and a half feet long or three foot long. Put the paper in a five-gallon bucket and then pound the smithereens out of it like a mortar and pestle. Uh, pound the snot out of it. Pound, yeah, just pound it into oblivion. I know when you did it in elementary, 
a little duct tape around the end of it. Yeah, sure. To keep kids from getting splinters. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do that. Or you can just sand it. Sand the, the, whole, the wherever they hold it. Mm -hmm. Make sure there's just no jagged edges. And just beat it constantly, constantly, constantly. Now, did you For, just use water? I know at one time you experimented with paste. Yeah. We just use wheat paste. Wheat paste or wheat did paste you use art great. paste? Oh, I've come to find out now just straight up wheat paste is works best. But actually any kind of glue will work. You could shoot some Elmer's glue in there and make that work. You could shoot some regular flour into it. Um, I don't know. Uh, How does that does that mold eventually? Yeah, I know some of your the, mass the flour <laughs> might yeah flour might mold if, if it's if it's dry and wet in a damp space it might get mildew. You always got mildew masks. Yeah, I, do. I got mildew one time. That was the whole science experiment. <laughs> One time Why is there back. black all over my mask? No, it's red and green mold. One time was like, oh, yeah, create, man. creative mold. Oh wow! But yeah, maybe not flour. Don't use flour if you're using uh, a uh, use use a, uh, a wheat paste or Elmer's glue. I think would be, you know, small amounts uh, of Elmer's glue would work also. Uh, but then add water to. Uh, consistency that you like for a sculptural uh, material and um, you've got a wonderful sculpting material and that takes forever to dry yeah about three three four <clears throat> days to dry uh, in sunlight or warm air and uh, and then after, don't put it in the kiln yeah don't put it in the kiln just put in sunlight or near a uh, near warm air by a heating vent after about a week it gets starts to get crusty, and if it if it's really good to use in like springtime or fall, when you can put it outside to dry, and eventually it does dry after a couple of weeks. It'll get rock hard. Yeah, because you can then sand it. Sand it and cut it, polish it's very, it, paint it. It kind of reminds me of a very thick pressed cardboard egg carton. Yeah, that's exactly what what yeah it's like pressed pressed egg, uh, paper egg carton. So uh, save your recycled paper. Yeah. Don't give it to Abitibi or anybody else, but tear it up. Smaller pieces tear, probably would yeah. help. Tear it up in uh, a, a smaller bits and soak it in some hot water if you got it. If not, soak it in regular water. And then um, drain the water. Pound the snot out of it with uh, uh, some one-by-ones or two-by-twos in a five-gallon bucket. Have the kids do the pounding. Yes, give it to the kids who jump up and down all the time. Yeah, let them expend their energy. Because they can use it. And they will love it. Yep. So that's how we make paper smeche. All right, so that's awesome. You gave a tip. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> Anything we can do to make art fun. That's going to just about wrap up this episode of Blocks, Paper, Scissors, Clyde. Just a reminder to our listeners, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss on Blocks, Paper, Scissors, just email it to Clyde at seagaw at newpal.k12.in.us. Check the links in the description. This podcast is now available on Podbean and iTunes. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and give us a review. I promise you, we won't take offense. Thank you for listening to the Blocks Paper Scissors podcast. And remember, 
Never say oops, always say, ah, interesting. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye-bye. What in the name of Sam Hill is that?